Today on the show, Randall Goodgame is here to talk turning his side project, Slugs and Bugs, into his full-time work, feeling like a fraud in social situations, his not-so-secret love for Jimmy Buffett, and so much more on episode 89 of Who Writes This Stuff. Hello, and welcome to Who Writes This Stuff. My name is Nick Flora, coming to you from Nashville, Tennessee. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, you guys, you picked a good one to listen to. I know I say that a lot, but you know what? You keep picking this podcast, so I keep having to affirm you in your decision to listen to it. Listen, this is just how this dynamic has to go between you and I. Uh, I hope everybody's enjoying their August, although you know you you could be listening to this in September or March you know, 2025, if podcasts still exist. Um, I, uh, it's unseasonably cool because August is usually the time where the South decides to murder its inhabitants with its heat and humidity. But um, I'm knocking on wood that it's going to stay this way. It's kind of amazing right now. Uh, very tempted to just take this podcast outdoors and just do, because it's so amazing out there, just do an outdoor podcast. Just talk to people as they're jogging through my neighborhood. Uh Today's episode is Randall Goodgame. As most of you know, if you can read, I don't think you just randomly clicked on your phone and don't know what's playing right now. But in case you you are, Randall Goodgame's on the show, um, who most of you might be familiar with. But if you aren't, he's a seasoned songwriter. He's been he's been in the business for a long time. Uh, great songwriter, great guy, great performer. He writes, you know, he writes for himself as well as artists like Cayman's Call, uh, Andrew Peterson, Jason Gray, Jill Phillips, just to name a few. Um, he's extremely prolific. He's been the last few years, uh, which we'll talk about a lot, uh, with his project Slugs and Bugs, which plays to crowds that are maybe a little different than the average singer-songwriter. Uh, a little smaller, even. Um, not small crowds, but, you know, small people in the in those crowds. Uh, end of yesterday, uh, actually, August 12th, uh, he is now a Dove-nominated artist for his last Slugs and Bugs record, Sing the Bible. So congrats, Randall. That's amazing. I love it. When we were talking at the time, I didn't know that the next day he would be a Dove-nominated artist. So, you know, that's the uh, that's what we call the Flora bump. You know, you do this podcast and you start things start happening to you. Uh, you know, that's just my theory that I'm throwing out there that I hope becomes existent. Um, right now, Slugs and Bugs. If you want to go to slugsandbugs.com, they are right this second at the tail end of a Kickstarter campaign. I think it ends um, this weekend. So if you're listening to this the day it comes out or the day or two after, uh, go to slugsandbugs.com and you can click on the link and go straight to the the Kickstarter page and get some really cool stuff. Um, Randall is one of those guys that you just can't help but be a fan of just from he, he has such a calming presence. You're instantly like, I want this guy to be my friend. So I'm so grateful that he is my friend. Uh, we spent a lot of time, um, you know, not to sound like a broken record, but at Escape to the Lake. Uh, he was one of those artists. The last, the next couple uh, podcasts will also be artists that I became friends with or better friends with there. Um, we went to camp together. You know, it's like hanging out with your camp friends uh, when you were a kid. You wanted to keep hanging out with them all year round. And thankfully, I, I have that, uh, you know, afforded to me because I live in, in town with a bunch of them. So now I'm just forcing you to listen to our post-camp hangouts. But enough of me jabbering on. Let's get into it. Here's episode 89 with Randall Goodgame. First time. This is the first time I'm doing this setup. I, I'm trying. I'm usually over there, but I feel so distant from from the guests. I like it. You know, 
you were sneaky, and, and it was I didn't even realize we were recording. Oh yeah, we're recording. It's up. It's right up there. I mean, I figured it out eventually. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Yeah, I, I'd rather do the preamble and the postamble. Is that a word? After. Yeah, do it in post because there's a whole thing, especially whenever I've done interviews and stuff where you you just say, and now we're going to have a conversation that makes your brain sort of go, you know, think of something interesting, think of or where do you start? But yeah, there's been many times where I'll just get going. And I'll be ten minutes in, and the and the guest is like, uh, "So we better get started, I guess. Better press record." And I'm just like, "Oh, we've been going for ten." Yeah, man. <laughs> and and they're like, "Oh, well, this is great. I just thought you yeah. were a good conversationalist." I'm like, "No, I'm pushing this thing forward so it could be a, a show." Yeah, man. You know, because that's I think like you could do a bunch of different interviews, and I'm sure you have, where it's like the same kinds of questions, and a lot of that might come up, but it's more interesting for me. In this day and age where everything is so precise and quick and we're microblogging and we're, mm-hmm. you know, everything is like is so short and the attention span is so short. I love like the idea of a long form conversation. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. In making um, this new record, we've got uh, I've been advised and I've decided to take it on as a challenge to blog every day about what we did in the studio that day. Every day? Every day. So, but I mean, you know, maybe when I come home from a full day's work and then you've got dinner and then it's sucking in the kids, maybe I got 30, 45 minutes for it, you know? Yeah. So they're super short. But what I found is that's kind of, that's sort of maybe what people want anyway. Yeah. Like you said, a podcast, folks, if I'm going to listen to a podcast, it's when I'm going to drive. Yes. I'm going to be on the road. Like gonna go catch up on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Folks that are scrolling through their phone, they just are like, "How long is this? Up oh, too long. I'm not gonna read it." Yeah, you know, it's interesting because there are so many blogs and so many chatter about culture and all of us. Our attention spans getting shorter, but I don't think that our attention spans are getting shorter. I just think that both, like the long attention span or the, the you know, Twitter being 140 characters and it thriving. I think something like this or something more long form can also thrive. I think they can coexist. I don't think it has to be one or the other. Just like yeah. everybody's saying, like, we're going to get to a point where, you know, we're all just living in boxes. It's like the, it's like Wally, where we're all just like focused on our screens and we're not looking in, at each other anymore. Yeah. And, and then some people saying, oh no, we're all just going to turn into, you know, beet farmers and just, you know, I think it's going to be both. I think there's going to be yeah. people. I think there's room for both. I don't think it's all one thing anymore. Because oh, yeah. I've had people tell me they listen to this podcast right when it comes out, like on the way to work, because they have a long commute. And then some people say they they do it in 10-minute increments all throughout the week or whatever. It's just, they jump back into it on the, you know, whatever. It's just, sure you can consume it however you want to consume it. Yeah. I don't know, though. I feel like my attention span is totally shorter. <laughs> and my kids, you know, like it's it's such a it's such a struggle and a challenge to keep the media away to to try to keep that influence at bay as as, yeah. as long as you can. It's already crept in, you know. They they love Minecraft and and they love, you know, the Wii. Yeah. But is Minecraft like a game like Sim City or something where you const- it's is it, it's not like a normal sort of Mar- Super Mario game, is it's it? Like it's like digital a digital Legos. So you build oh. with bricks, okay, and you have an endless supply of bricks, and yet you, you can you can go find more stuff. You know, you find uh-huh. chickens and things, uh, and make farms and yeah, castles and roller so you're coasters. Like, well, that, I, that's pretty good. Like it's pretty killer. 
I, I never knew what that was. I've seen kids play it on iPads and stuff, and I'm mm-hmm. like, what? or I've heard you know parents talk about it, and I'm like, I don't know what this game is, but it's it. When I seen it look like, because I got really into Sim City, like when that came out on yeah. the CD ROM, like in '95 <laughs> or whenever that was, and I was like really into that kind of. I like the sort of long game games, yeah. like the kind of thing where you really have to invest in it, and and then you come back and it's changed. That was the first game where you come back and like you sort of planted something, and then overnight you it grew into something else, wow. and you kind of see whether what you did, you know, your fruit was being bared in you know the oh. right way. It was. Fascinating to me. Yeah, I never, I never played Sin Sim City. Sin City. Sin City. I played, I played Sin you played City, Sin City? A bunch of times. It's a great game. Just it's you know three hundred buck flight to Vegas. Play yeah. Sin City. Oh yes, I guess I guess that is Vegas, isn't it? Are you? <laughs> I was thinking of. Uh, they also call New Orleans Sin City. I'm like, I oh, is it? Well. Yeah. Maybe that's what it is. No, Vegas. I don't is, know. Vegas is Sin City. I've never been cool enough to like have a a dark side like that where, you know, like I've never like had like a gambling addiction right. or like, Oh man, we got to go to new Orleans. Well, when never, I say I played since sin city and I mean, new Orleans, I mean, I played like, you played a concert church at the, you know, like for the kids. <laughs> it's not like I'm, I'm down in the French quarter. <laughs> yeah. I guess I, I went through Vegas one time. I played a really awkward show in a coffee shop in Vegas, which is sort of exactly what it sounds like. If you picture like, a coffee shop in Vegas, you nailed it. It's like, yeah. you know, like bright pink walls and there's a slot machine in the corner and then, you know, there's just a bunch of sad Elvis, old Elvis impersonators to the oh, side. Man. It's just, it was it was really sad. And then I drove through the strip and it's sort of a, a, an amazing to see, but I was just like, this isn't for me. You just sort of like, if you know who yep. you are, mm-hmm. you're like, I'm the like quiet nerdy kid who likes to be in bed by 10. Like this is not, yep, not my scene. And by quiet, I mean in quotes, cause I'm not necessarily, right. I talk <laughs> way too much to be a quiet, but you know, like deep down, that's what I feel like, Yeah. you know, it's like whenever I get in a room in, in town with a bunch of other musician or creative people, I, I immediately sort of go like, I'm not supposed to be here. You know what ah, I mean? I, I do know what you mean. So. I mean, most, most of the musicians and friends that I have, and I'm the same way. I always, you always kind of feel like, um, like you're faking it a little bit. Yeah. You know, like I'm playing the role of like cool guy mm-hmm. who's supposed to be here. Eventually. Like, I feel like I've gotten to the point where that, that is the role. So I'm, so I'm comfortable with it. The role of faking it, I've got it down. So, so and that, if that's the role everybody's playing, yeah, then, uh, then, then, cool. I can, I can do that. It is funny, like how many people I've talked to about that, and it, it's sort of deemed imposter syndrome. Like how much, like you, when you're in a position, you're just like, I, somebody's gonna tap me on the shoulder at any point and be like, "Excuse me, sir, you're not supposed to be here." You know, yeah. I feel like that when I was like when we were at Escape to Lake. There's sort of a little bit of that, like especially hanging out with like a bunch of you guys, and I'm just like. Everybody here is way, way cooler than I am. Like, I don't, I'm, they're going to be like, so, uh, you know, who have you toured with that we might know? And I'll be like, nobody. Like, I haven't been on tour with Cavemans or Jars or anybody. You know, like, there's this sort of feeling. I know what you mean. Forever. But I got to say, you won the coolness award for my whole trip when my daughter came up to me and said, (laughs) hey, dad, can I borrow uh, some money? I was like, yeah, sure. She's like, oh, I want to buy a CD. And I was like, oh, cool. Who are you going to get? What CD? And she's like, well, the guy that just played, I think his name's Nick Flora. <laughs> I was like, yes! That, that, was, that made the whole trip for me when Dude, you told me that. It made my trip. Because like, I sort of knew where you were going with the... I was like, clearly... But in my head, I'm still like, this can't be about me. Because we talked about it there where the... If you get the attention of a 14-year-old... Oh, yeah. 
especially a girl for some reason, mm-hmm. it's like you have the attention of a celebrity. Totally. Kids are like little <laughs> Why is that? I don't know. I feel like... They're, are they just super selective? No, I think it's what they deem cool. they are super insecure, so they're never looking at you, right? So when you do get their attention, um, it seems really rare, like you like sighting a rare bird, you know? Interesting. And, and so they, they are so self-absorbed, you know, that they that for them to actually like approach you and give you eye contact and give you attention, it makes you feel really valuable. And, totally and, does. And I, I know whenever my friends, kids say hello, like, Hey, Mr. Good game. How are you today? I'm always like, Oh my goodness. Well, I'm great. Thanks for asking. How are you? Yeah. Like, yeah. like I ran into Keith Urban or something. You know? Yeah. Like it's, it's, I get really nervous too. I, I, there's like a sort of, there is that sort of like, Oh, you're, Oh, cool. Yeah. Cause I'm, I'm in this whole, like the, one of the running themes of the, that's entered the podcast several times over the last, since the fall is like, I'm, tr- I'm seeking out how to be, f- make friends as an adult. Oh yeah. It's a tough thing. I don't know how to do it. I'm, I think I'm figuring it out because you do sort of, you know, for a long time you make friends through church, through your work or uh, there was another one or like their grandfathered in through like college or high school. You've right. always been friend, or fa- you know, family is sort of blended yeah. in there too. And like my work is a, is a solo. Like mm-hmm. I don't go to an office yep. and uh, church is always there, but I'm always on the road. I'm usually coming home on a Sunday. Yeah, me too. So that's sparse. It's right. not enough to sort of, you know, really like till mm-hmm. the, the wheat. And then I don't really have any, like I didn't go to college. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I don't have like, so I'm like, I'm entering this phase in my thirties where I'm just like, well, what do you, how do I, do I just say, Hey, well, you want to be my friend? Like, you know, to a I guy know. that I sort of hang out with at shows, like, right. It's, it's like an art form. It totally is. And I, 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 man, so I'm 41 and I feel like I'm only just like beginning to sort of figure it out because for the first 20 years of being a, a, you know, an adult living on your own or with, a, with, you know, being married, um, you, like you either, like you said, you meet your friends at church, um, and then you sort of meet your friends in your work environment. But then when you have time, like you have a day where there's nobody around, like it's a Saturday, maybe the kids are doing something with friends. And I think, well, uh, I, I could call a friend. Mm-hmm. Uh, who is that? And oh, it, it takes a while to figure out. So can I just call that guy from church? Can I just call him and say, hey, you want to go get a movie? And I've had lots of conversations. Andrew, has Andrew Peterson done this podcast yeah. with you? We've had lots of conversations about that. Because both he and I have talked about how neither of our parents, of our dads, for example, have like what we would consider like long-term, lots of long-term friends, you know? And um, so we didn't get, like growing up, it wasn't modeled for us how to have like friends yep. as an adult. Same here. Yeah. Right. So it's, so you're, we're kind of always kind of not anymore as much, but in the early kind of friendship making years, it's like, Hey, I'm not really sure how to do this, but you want to be my friend and go to a movie. (laughs) And uh, I know it's like, uh, and I've had to literally say that I I said it to Jeremy Casella. I was like, I don't know. Cause I, I go see Al Andrews. I don't know if you know, you know, Al, I go see Al Andrews and and I asked him about it and he was just like, yeah, you just have to do the little nerdy, sixth grader thing and be like, you kind of want to be my friend. And oh. so I did. I straight up looked, I looked Jeremy Casella in the eyes and I was like, 
he, he did the podcast and afterwards we went to lunch and I was like, do you want to be my friend? And he like, <laughs> didn't even answer. He just hugged me. Oh yeah. Dude. And I was like, okay, we're in. He's the best. Oh, he's awesome. Anyone could ever have. Cause yeah. he's hilarious and like can, and you know, can do the sort of like guy jokey friend stuff, but he dives deep so quick. So fast. And it's so rich. Yeah. 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 And so like that's, and that's what I do too. And it's so hard. I've had friends who don't match that, who sort of like, they get weirded out by like, you know, they're like, how's it going? And I'll just be like, well, I've been thinking about this philosophical thing or this. And they're just like, whoa, I was just looking for, you know, like, you know, whatever, you know, the whatever surface thing. (laughs) What movie have you seen? I've never been good at like the, the sort of surface. I like diving straight in and and then sort of like bouncing back and forth between that stuff. And yeah, I think it's it's a little more rare for guys because I'm that way too. I, it's, I'm way, I'm much more comfortable in one-on-one hang than I am at a party. Mm. Um, because party is kind of about hanging out, like, hey, what's going on with you and your career? Right. And like, hey, how's your Working family the crowd. and stuff? And yeah, oh man. And I'm just the worst at that. That's why I married an extrovert. There you go. Um, and I mean, I didn't, well, that wasn't intentional at the time, but I'm sure that's why. Because <laughs> at parties, I'm just the arm candy. Yeah. I'm just like hanging out and letting my wife be funny and make everybody laugh. But you're that. a great hang, though. Like, that's very helpful. You are like, if you get even into a, like a small conversation with you, uh, even in Escape to the Lake, like passing in passing or whatever, I would just see you and then, then we'd talk for 10 minutes and I'd go on my way. I was just like, that was, you know, like that was great. Like there, there's no, and maybe that's the sort of conducive environment for that yeah. because I feel like that whole weekend was just one long conversation. Nobody ever says bye. They're just like, okay. And then you just keep walking on to your thing. No, that's true. But, and well, you're a super easy open kind of spirit too you know like you just you exude like <laughs> friendliness you know and well i hope so i'm glad to hear yeah, that Yeah, man for sure that that whole that whole weekend and that kind of place like you said it draws it draws those kinds of spirits It takes a deeper well to love one another. Share the well, my friend. Do you think the water knows? Flowing down the mountain thaw. Finally to find repose for any soul who cares to draw. Some kindred keepers of this earth on their way to join the flow are cast aside and left to thirst. Tell me now it is not so. What was your sort of overall of, of Escape to the Lake being a first timer there? Um, okay. This so, is the portion where I will send this to Dave Trout. Okay, yeah. So, well, <laughs> no, I'm not sure how, how helpful this first part will be. But for me, overwhelmingly, my like the cool thing for me was seeing my daughter. Um, mm. Hang out. Her buddy, she and her buddy Sky Peterson yeah. came, and they were just they had this this magical little weekend where they were encouraged by professional musicians. They were like walking around from like group to group of working musicians saying, yeah. hey, "Can we play you a song?" And to, to to see her be confident and to get praise from from you know older seasoned folks. Yeah. Um, and to know that you know 
I'm going to bed and she's with her buddy down at the campfire, like yeah. singing songs and playing the fiddle. They owned that campfire every I mean, night. A, thir- a 14 year old and a 12 year old, you know? And I could never have imagined having the confidence or frankly, the skill to do that. Where did she get that? She get that from your wife. That's sort of like, Hey, seasoned professional musician. Let me take your time because I have something that I think will be worth your while. That, that takes a lot of courage. Yeah, man. That's not like either one of us. Really? Oh yeah. She just is very comfortable with herself. She is. Yeah. And, um, and because she's grown up in a musical home, she and has been, you know, playing instruments for so long that those two things matching together means that she's just fine to walk up to somebody and say, Yeah. Hey, would you actually I mean in the place, like I said, the spirit of the place is so friendly and inviting that it probably softened the uh the the scare. Mm-hmm. You know, and like was a little easier. And the fact that she had a buddy. I mean I'm sure Oh, that's walking everything. up with Sky and the two of them saying, Hey, can we play you something? Yep. Was probably I'm much more adventurous. I've said this a lot, but I'm much more adventurous when I have a partner. When I go yeah. on the road, like when Eric Peters and I go out or something, like we, I will be like, come on, dude, we're doing this. But if I'm by myself, yeah. I'll just sort of stick to my norms, like yeah. Barnes & Noble, burritos shop, yeah. you know, like yeah. Chick-fil-A, mm-hmm. and then I'll and go to the movies and then back to the hotel or whatever. But if I'm with like Eric, who is not necessarily like, an adventurous spirit. Right. He's sort of like the, the classic curmudgeon guy. Yeah, yeah. Both of us, like it, for whatever reason he has that too. And we, we were just like, yeah, let's go explore this weird part of town. Cause yeah. you, ha- if you have somebody like, I need somebody to look at every once in a while, if something goes down and say like, this is weird, right? Yeah. Like it just, just to have that for some reason is very, yeah, I'm not a solo adventurer, but mm-hmm. I totally get that. Like I have a buddy, we're going through this together. It makes yeah. it more fun. Yeah. But it also just makes you more courageous. Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 ooh, we can go deep with that. It's community. Yeah. And just the richness of having other people. It's, and it's, That's huge. You know, to be able to say, um, that just happened to somebody, have the, sh- the shared experience, you know? Mm-hmm. It's why it's, people laugh louder in a movie theater, you know? Like, in a, oh my gosh. a jam packed movie theater. I've had that experience where, speaking of that, where I will, if you had that where you like see a movie in the movie theater and you laugh riotously because everybody else is, especially if you're with a group of people oh, yeah. and then you watch it at home later and you try to recreate it with other, you're like, try to bring in your spouse or, you know, your roommate or whatever. And it's yeah. just like, what is happening? I don't get this. And I'm like, no, you don't understand. Yeah. And forever. I didn't know what that was, but it's exactly what it is. It's a communal mm-hmm. experience. And that's why so many filmmakers get really confused because they'll show their film at like a film festival for a bunch of people. And they're like, Oh, it brought the house down. Yeah. It's going to do this everywhere. But not necessarily because some things are meant to sort of be seen with a lot of people. Yeah. And especially comedy, I feel like, does really well because laughter is contagious. Yep. I mean, how many times have you walked into a conversation with somebody, two people who are already laughing, and you find yourself sort of like, what's so funny? And yeah. you're genuinely smiling and laughing. Yeah. You know, I love that. I, I've done that where I've walked into like a comedy club late and sat down and I'm just like already like what's happening. I don't know what he's talking about, but I'm sort of, you you can't help it. it. It's contagious. It is amazing, man. I saw this brilliant social experiment. I can't remember probably, um, public television, but this guy won a Bob Dylan concert. Bob Dylan agreed to do this social experiment where this, this one guy, he won a concert just for him. No. So yeah, it was at this some fancy theater in some city. It was this German guy. And 
He is this lifer Bob Dylan fan. He's probably in his late 50s and just flipping out, like super nervous yeah. and sweaty and like, oh my gosh, I'm going to get to see Bob Dylan. Yeah. And, uh, and he didn't get to meet him. He just got to pick his seat in this empty theater. And the band came out and kind of was like, check, check, hi to the one guy. <laughs> and kind of like waved, you know, there's Bob Dylan and his band. And watched the whole show and, you know, clapped. Right. He said, but it, after the first few songs, um, he didn't clap anymore after each song because he said, well, it just kind of felt awkward clapping. So after they would finish, I would just, you know, it would just be silent. <laughs> and then afterwards, in the end, in the interviewing him how that how that was it was so clearly anticlimactic for him because there he was still blown away because it was awesome yeah but the it was it paled in comparison to every other bob dylan concert experience he'd ever seen yeah because it wasn't with anybody wow Isn't that amazing that is so profound yeah <laughs> i've never i mean i've definitely been in the situation where i i get to sort of sneak in for a band i love or an artist i love and see soundcheck yeah and they sort of play through a few songs and it does sort of the magic in a way goes away after the first couple, you know, the, the first 10 minutes of like, I can't believe I'm here because you are sort of like, something's missing. This is, I've I've had a vague, you know, Mm -hmm. sort of phantom limb sort of feeling of like, what's missing? Like there's something. And then at the concert, you're just like overwhelmed with goosebumps, you know? I think it is. There's something, that's why I think, in a way, just the experience of church, just going mm-hmm. and all everybody's energy pointing towards one thing. Mm-hmm. We're all facing the same way. We're singing the same songs. It's very, I can understand somebody even not knowing who God is and understanding all that coming in and being moved. Yeah. Because if you just understand the community aspect of it, like you're, it's very overwhelming, mm-hmm. you know? And I've, I've had that same experience similarly at like a Coldplay concert or U2 or something where you're just like, why am I on the verge of tears? But it's, and it's because for me, I'm such a community driven person. Mm -hmm. I, I enjoy when everybody's, especially singing, everybody's singing in unison. Oh yeah. No matter what it is. And if it's kids, just forget about it. I'm gone. Waterworks. Gone. I get so emotional because it's such a beautiful thing. We're all so different. We're all walking towards the same thing for this moment. We are all connected Yep. And you're right. The crowd is everything. I think that's one reason why I think I said it on the last podcast, but like I just one of the few reasons why I sort of make jokes that when there's like a small crowd at a show, you know, it's like so much harder. I'm just like, Oh, what? Like, and I make the jokes not because I'm not grateful that the, you know, 15 people came out, but when there's like 300 now we're cooking Oh man, and it's better for everybody. It's better for everybody. Yeah. yeah. It's so hard, especially, well, it's just not especially it's just as much, for our slugs and bugs shows when, um, you know, the energy of the, and most of the shows are like, you know, 200 to 400 people, mm-hmm. but you know, sometimes there'll be a show where there's like 80 people and, and they're spread out around an auditorium that's got, yeah. you know, maybe it's like a 400 seater and, uh, man, you know, you, you, uh, like you hold back your joke cause you know, they're not going to fall the way they should. Um, the applause is all scattery and it mm-hmm. really takes sort of, you got to kind of put your, your pro shoes on to do the show. Well, that's 
you know, like where you're thankful that you've, you've done this a lot. So it's like, okay, I know what to do. Right. Cause you're not, you're certainly not feeding off of the crowd. You're just, you, you got your work boots on and you're doing your, you're doing your job. And you sometimes know? you have to joke or make those little quips, those plans sort of like, okay, this is how we set up the song as if it just got an uproarious applause because you just have to, <laughs> you know, yeah. sometimes you just have to like, okay, this is going great. You know, even though it seems like half the crowd is distracted because somebody dropped snacks or yeah. whatever the thing is. Yeah. That's such a brave thing. I don't, I think I already get distracted by adults. I can't even imagine performing for kids and, and their parents who are just hovering over them. Cause there is like such a level of distraction. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. It's intense. How do you stay on? And you have so many lyrics to remember. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it is funny. A lot of times after concerts, I do have people that, that will say, how, how do you do it? How do you keep going? And it's really funny because by my sort of nature, I'm a pretty distracted, easily distractible guy. But something about, um, I don't know, something about having done it for so long and being comfortable with like knowing what I'm supposed to do up there. And also, uh, even back before I started doing Slugs and Bugs shows, I remember learning the hard way that there, there's always more people engaged than you think. That's true. You know, like you see, like we up on stage, we see the like two or three people that are checking their phone or that are, you know, looking up at the ceiling, or they're yawning. But it's it's like we choose to see them instead of the 150 people that are totally engaged and laughing. It's it's so over the years I think I've learned to not trust those people. Like those people are not they're not the people that are listening in that moment and to just move past them and engage with the folks that are listening. Yeah. And it's it is harder with kids cuz the ones that are not listening are the loudest, you know? (laughs) So you may, I've had kids running up on the stage. I had, I had a kid one time grab a beach ball that it was the last time I ever used a beach ball at a concert (laughs) and just hurl it right at the back of my (laughs) Apple laptop, like hit it right on the Apple. No. Yeah. And the laptop goes, you know, it didn't fall. Yeah. But, um, and yeah, kids running up and down the stage, um, running around screaming, you know, I've had kids, doing the jet plane, running around, clotheslining other kids, you know? And, uh, but during all that time, um, the vast majority of the crowd is in. They're in. Yeah. And the only way that they lose, that they, they won't be in is if you break character, you know? That's very true. So if you break character, then they're like, oh, oh yeah, I guess it is kind of loud in here. You know, otherwise the loudness, they kind of notice it, but they're like, if as long as you're taking us there, man, we'll go. Do not, do not eat, do not eat anything you find already dead. Do not eat anything you find already dead. But you may give it to the alien. You may give it to the alien. You may give it to the alien living in your town. You may give it to the alien. You may give it to the alien. You may give it to the alien living in your town. So, did you ever in your like early days starting playing music think that this is where you would be at this oh, point in no your way. career? No way. I would never. You know what? Before I had kids, I didn't like kids. Mm-hmm. 
Oh man. Like, yeah. I didn't, totally. I didn't want to be around kids. I thought yeah. they were gross. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, Oh, I hated doing nursery duty. Isn't that interesting? Oh yeah. And then we start, we had kids and then I liked my kids. Of course. Just my kids. Other people's kids still gross. I know. <laughs> I know. But somewhere along the way, um, you know, like you start having your brother, your sister have kids. You realize other people's kids can be fun. And then, you know, just growing into being a dad, I, uh, all of a sudden one day I love kids and, uh, it was writing for veggie tales was really mm-hmm. what it wasn't even the first lugs and bugs CD. It was when we got, um, asked to write silly songs for the veggie tales series that really kind of turned me towards. So the veggie tales was before slugs and bugs. No, no. The first lugs and bugs CD. Okay. So they was knew like that... a side project, you know, with the, yeah, Peterson. I remember that. Yeah. And, um, veggie tales got it. They called us and said, Hey, would you write some silly songs for us? And it was doing that that I first really considered what an opportunity it was to have to have the ear of a family. Like the side project, I didn't really think of it that way. I thought it was just another way to make some cash sure. and, and, and help some families, you know, have some good music. But VeggieTales had this great big audience. And so it was like they were saying, okay, you've got five minutes and you're going to have the attention of parents and kids all around the country. What are you going to do with that five minutes? Mm-hmm. And I thought, wow, now that is an inspiring, inspiring challenge because you get, you get to choose uh, how am I going to talk about the gospel? How am I going to talk about it? Am I going to be funny? How am I going to be funny? What kinds of funny things am I going to do? And am I going to have a song? Well, what will that song be like? Mom and dad have got to like it because they're going to be sitting there. I never would have seen it coming because, but once I grasped it, I pretty much knew now that is something I could sink my teeth into for a long time. Mm-hmm. Is this something that, well, you just sort of said it, but is it, is this something that you see you could do it for a long time? Is the well deep as it, far as like what you can do with it as a brand and where it can go? I, I think it is. And so uh, there's kind of two answers. One is absolutely. I mean, I'd love to do a hymns project so that not only most of my inspiration from my projects come first for what I want to happen in my own family. And I want my kids to know the hymns that I love, you know, but I think, well, if I want that for my family, probably other parents would want it for theirs. Mm -hmm. Um, And you can never have enough fun, silly, clever songs. And And there's so much bad kid music out there. Right. And, and I know Don Chaffer was just on the podcast and he said, there's no bad art. So, uh, but I think there might be bad art <laughs> <laughs> and there's just like really terrible people. I mean, you guys put so, and you specifically like put so much care into th- these songs mm. that it's, it's the difference between some really poorly animated, stupid, dumb thing. They just, somebody just, just made, you know, and put up on YouTube for kids to watch mm-hmm. and then Pixar. And yeah, what a shame that people, I think the, the reason why there's so much bad art isn't because, well, I think it's because um, people, they don't give kids enough credit. No. They think, well, it's for kids so I can just, you know, kind of wing it. Oh, kids know. Yeah, they, and, and yeah, so. And they might not, not know that they know, but they'll say like, I don't want to listen to this, turn it off. But if you're constantly, I think because, 
what you guys do so well, and I guess it's you, it, it, it yeah. originally was you and Peterson, but like what, what and, and, and the whole thing is so, especially like, you know, with, with Jeff Taylor and Buddy Green, all these guys that play on it. Yeah. It feels like a big collaborative project, which I guess it is. Oh my gosh, it so is. But but what do you guys do? The level of musicianship is is so stellar, and I think kids like they they go after the thing. There's like the next thing. If they think that they're listening to something or watching something that like kids a little bit older than them like, that's what they're gonna go for. Constantly looking up. Like I was always. I, I have a brother four years older than me and my ear was pressed to his door while it was closed and his bedroom door went growing up. Yeah. So I wanted to hear what he was listening to so badly. Right. And then when he would get tired of a band, he would toss the CD to me and be like, I don't want to listen to this anymore. It's not cool. You know, when we were like, he was like 13 yeah. and I, it was just like the greatest gift he could have given me. Right. But, I, but, but so if you play to that and not play down, but sort of, be like, be like, hey, these are really great musicians, and th- these are jokes that aren't like necessarily haha jokes, but they're really witty and clever. Like kids will latch on to that. I mean, Pixar is a good example. Like they they've just done, done amazing things. They're the template. Yeah. I yeah. Mean, I use that template, and whenever I do, you really? Because I see a lot of correlations I, between the two. Well, I mean, they've impacted me in that way. You know, like what they do with the quality of their animation, the quality of their storytelling, is what I'm trying to do with the quality of the musicianship and the quality of the song craft. Yeah. So it's, it's a great parallel and anybody that ever mentions it in, in the same breath as slugs and bugs, of course, you know, it's what I'm hoping and shooting for. Yeah. So, and so when I first heard slugs and bugs, I think the first time I heard it, I was recording at the same time that you guys were doing the Christmas one. Oh yeah. I was recording with Osanga and I, I remember like, I would coming into a session and like you guys leaving or so, there was some cr- 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 like paths being crossed and being like, and Andy was just like, dude, you got to hear this. And I just couldn't uh, believe it. And uh, Stacy was singing on my stuff and she was singing on, on that one as well. Oh, yeah. And I was just like, this is unbelievable. Like, this is like stuff I would listen to. Like this isn't, <laughs> you know, cause I knew slugs and bugs is just like, Oh yeah, it's that side project that's for kids or whatever. And like you check Mark in your brain, like, well, that's not for me. But then like you hear this stuff and I have friends that have, who've said the same thing. Like, yeah, sometimes like it's in the car because my kids were in the car and like they're out of the car and I just let it keep going because it's so enjoyable. <laughs> Man, thank you. Yeah. You know, I just, I just that's when I feel like if that when that does happen, I'm sure there's parents that, are, that can't wait to get out of the car, but <laughs> but but the kids get out of the car. But when that's what I'm shooting for because um, there doesn't there can't there are times it's like you know kids want mac and cheese. And parents don't want that so much. There are differences in the palette, but there are lots of ways to bridge the gap. And that's what I'm, that's what I'm trying to do. That's why the official name of the, of, of the company is Slugs and Bugs Family Music. Um, and what's been really fun is as our kids have gotten older, the, the, the music has matured, you know, because I find I want to make sure that my oldest kid digs it, mm-hmm. you know. So when the, the first record, when Andrew, made, Andrew and I made it together, I think my oldest was five and his oldest was maybe seven or eight, you know? Um, and uh, now my oldest is 14. And and she's on stage with you. Yeah, now she's on stage with me. <laughs> but she still will, like, I'll, I'll bring the, the songs home and say, hey, what do you think about this? You know, if I've been working something or working in the... And the other day, I brought home our Ten Commandments song. And um, I played it for the, my oldest and my youngest and my son, Ben, mm-hmm. eight-year-old. I said, well, what do you think? And he goes, 
I kind of like it and I kind of don't. And it was like, oh, dude, this is gold. Tell me, what, yeah. what don't you like? And he told me. And I was up probably for like three or four hours in the middle of the night that night fixing the song. And it's way better. It's totally different. I rewrote Interesting. the verse. Um, I rewrote the verse, changed the chorus a little bit, and it's just so much better. Are there times, though, when you do that and you just, or you're like, I don't really agree with you? No. Really? No. Yeah, if the eight-year-old says like, "Yeah, I don't, I don't really like it," there's no way I'm gonna keep it. Yeah, I'm gonna fix it. You know? Wow. Because they, they, are, you know, he's unfiltered, and if he doesn't like it, there's gonna, you know, then it's not worth doing. You have a test audience. I got a test audience, and and so this is circling way back to a question you asked me earlier: How could you keep doing this for a long time? On one hand, yes, I could, because it, it's it's endlessly inspiring to think about putting the gospel and humor mm-hmm. and songcraft all together um, over and over in different ways. But as my kids get older, um, I feel like I probably will have less of a finger on the pulse of what is, um, what makes them laugh, mm-hmm. you know, cause I've been in that world for 14 years and my youngest now is eight. So I'm, you know, in the sunset years of that. Right. Um, now I may keep, I may be able to keep doing it, but I, you know it'll just be, it'll be interesting to find that new challenge of making sure I can come up with. The You'll just up. have to, in the way that like guys like Jerry Seinfeld and Chris Rock, they go to these smaller clubs in New York to test out material yeah. quietly. You know yeah. they don't announce it; they just show up. They do pop ins. Right. You have to do that at preschools around Nashville. Showing up, at, you're just yeah. like, hey, you like you have shades on and a hoodie. <laughs> And you're like, hey, Randall's here from Slugs and Bugs. Can I just think into your class real quick before nap time? I got I to gotta ask you a couple questions. Yeah. And you're just like, yeah, sure, come on in. It's like you go through the back door. It's like, <laughs> like right. Bring my box of Honey Nut Cheerios. Yeah, they're like, around. here you go. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. Here you <laughs> go. Here you right. go. Don't drop it on the carpet. Thanks a lot. You guys have been great. Yeah. Uh, you're like passing out a questionnaire. I'm totally doing that. Because a lot of those, like Chris Rock goes, like he shows up at like the Comedy Cellar in New York at like midnight. Right. And he just pops in and people can't believe it. Right. And what's amazing is uh like they give they they give him like 90 seconds where they everything he says is gold and right. then it they immediately are like stop laughing it's not funny. Yep. And he's and I've heard them talk about that where they're just Me like too, this man. is it's the real deal. Like you have to get up there and fail before you can be good. Right. Which I'm so thankful I've I you know we've talked about it before but I'm I'm a huge comedy fan and I love hearing comedians talk about how they write and how they do it because it seems like the hardest job yeah. in in entertainment. Just getting up there with your brain yeah. and your Make mouth people laugh. and for a long stretch of time. Yeah. And they're just so kind. And you have to be confident. You can't kick into a song. Uh-uh. And so I love, but also it makes me glad I'm not a comedian because they, they talk about it all the time. They're like, we're so jealous of musicians because we can't just go in our room and practice comedy because you have to do it in front of a crowd and it has yeah. to be, and you just have to trust that it's going to be bad for a while before it's good. Can you mm-hmm. imagine getting up there with like, I have an idea for a song. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work it out on stage for you guys for the next 30 minutes. Oh, brutal. Brutal. So and you're brutal. like, maybe this. I don't know. Let's go back. Maybe this. People would just be like, brutal. I'm out of here. Yeah. That's horrifying. So I'm oh. always so glad that I can go into my room, get moderately good at a song, and before I even present it to people. And then they're, you know, and then they're just like, that new song is incredible. Even though inside you feel like you are a bunch of disconnected Legos, you know, you're just like, it's not right yet. I don't feel comfortable. It's still first day of school, Mm -hmm. but 
you know, you've practiced it in muscle memory and not, it's just interesting. All, all the different forms of, of art, performance arts, especially yeah. fascinates me, but stand-up comedy blows my mind that they have to get up there. Even the best, like Bob, it'd be like Bob Dylan, right? Like getting up there and people just being like, this isn't very good. I don't like this. And then him saying, you have to trust me that when the record comes out, it will it's be good. It's going to be amazing. Right. <laughs> like I can't even, have you yeah. seen, uh, the, the Tig Notaro? Yeah, I just watched it. Um, thing. The her documentary. Documentary. Yeah, we watched it two nights ago. Yeah, it just reminded me of it. That was amazing. Amazing. Um, but uh, yeah. Uh, speaking of songs and getting up there and writing and you holding away and coming out with a new song. Oh my gosh, our family plays the Nick Flora CD so much. <laughs> it's my wife's like new favorite. Really? Record. Oh yeah, they play. It's always on in the wow. minivan. I like where this conversation's going. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Dude, yeah, I'm singing your songs all the time. Dude, that I that is a huge compliment. It's it's that's in the minivan with uh, the um, Lori Chaffer half of the oh, new Waterdeep. I listened to it today. And how um, good is that? Oh my gosh, <laughs> Mama. She she's. I'm a, afraid they won't like me. She's a freaking rock star. Oh my gosh, um, so when good. People ask me what music do you listen to. I, I just listen to my friends. Isn't that funny? Yeah. I do the it's same one thing. Of the great things about living in this town. And I know. Talented friends. I think about that a lot because I started, when I started playing music in this small town in Arkansas, I sort of announced myself more or less. I played a talent show in ninth grade, announced myself as a person who now performs music. I played one song <laughs> and immediately I just got sort of contacted by all the other people who play guitar in my school, which are like four, maybe three. Right. And then we all would hang out like on Sunday afternoons and just jam. And it was, we all played completely different styles of music. And it was, I remember sitting on like this weird futon bed and being like, if I didn't play music, I wouldn't be in this room with all, like, this is so interesting and weird. Mm -hmm. And I was 15 at the time, but I, and then that I've had that thought hundreds of times since mm -hmm. one of them being even an escape to Lake this year, sitting in a room doing that like songwriter boot camp or whatever. And I'm just like, some of these people are like people that I listened to you included like 10 years ago when I was just dreaming about moving to Nashville. And now I'm sort of seen we're on a dais together. Like, and like I'm saying something and you're validating it. And it's just this weird sort of, you know, and that's the same way with those Sanga or all these guys. Yeah. It's just the benchmark has changed. And like the, my friends that I'm, I'm still in a room with and listening to their music, I'm just genuinely a, a fan of. Yeah. It has just shifted. And if anything else, that's success to me. Like, I just want to be, I want to be in tandem, even though I don't feel like I am the level of artist that a lot of you guys are. Like, I want to feel in tandem because I feel like I could have so much to learn, you know? Even like Buddy Green and Jeff Taylor, like these guys were just like masterclass musicians. Yeah, it was like, man. can we just hang out for it forever? Those guys are amazing with their generosity of spirit. Like they, yeah, they'll just come and hang. And uh, dude, Ron Freaking Block is my favorite, is my best story. So uh, all the different musicians that I've known and hung out with in my life in Nashville, the only person that's ever said, hey, bring your guitar. When you come over, Ron Block, 14-time Grammy winner, <laughs> banjo player for Allison Krauss Union Station. We went over to have dinner at their house. He's like, hey, don't forget, throw your guitar in the back. We'll, we'll jam on the porch afterwards. What? 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 <laughs> and so, sure enough, after dinner, hanging out, my, my daughter and his daughter were out riding their pony. 
and uh, because they have a pony, right? And it's uh, Sandra, his wife, got out of her acoustic bass, and I pulled out my guitar, and he's out. He's got his guitar and his banjo, and I have my mandolin. We just is there a part of you that's like, please don't ask me to bust my guitar out? Because <laughs> I always have that where I'm just like, please, I feel like I don't have the capacity to breathe and play if i'm in this situation <laughs> there's so many times you know what just a testimony to like the sweetness of the guy because there's nothing in him that that you know everything about him is so disarming and mm. just gentle and friendly and yeah we'll just play some hymns and some bluegrass songs man come on it was just couldn't have been more sweet there's a correlation between the the most talented people i've met in this town also have that attitude where they're or the most like successful and I know that's not always across the board. There's some, you know, real douchebag guys out there who are, I'm sure are really <laughs> successful. But the ones that I've met are the ones that are just like that. They're just like, they are sort of like, eh, like that doesn't bother them. They're just in it for the community and the music. Yeah. And, and that's, I mean, that stuff has poured into me and I just kind of hope to, hope to be able to be that guy, you know, or somebody. Anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. Anyone who has food should do the same. Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. The servant of all. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy where thieves break in and steal but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven for where your treasure is there your heart will be anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none anyone who has food should do the same anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all, the servant of all. I could talk to you forever, but there's so many questions that people asked you. Probably the most amount of questions from any guest ever was asked when I said that you were coming on today. So many people, like, through... Facebook and Twitter have asked you questions. You are a beloved person. Yay. And so many people are interested in, in what you have to say. Oh, man, that's um, awesome. Which wow. makes sense because you, you have had such a fascinating career arc. And you just, you have, I mean, I remember meeting you and be like, this guy can't be for real. Like, you're so nice and you're so <laughs> generous with your time. And you're so, I was like, this can't be, this isn't real, right? Like, even with Laura Preston, like, it escapes. Like, I was like, this is, he's like secretly just like, a demon, right? <laughs> like, and just like, no, like, I don't know. Like I, I have no experience except for like just being a pleasant person. And that's what I'll start with that question. Somebody asked, um, if there is a, I, I don't know. There's so many, I, I wrote them all down. Oh, what does an Bill Smithfield? Yeah. yeah. What does an angry, <laughs> what does an angry Randall good game sound like? Oh my God. Cause you have one of the gent most gentle male voices he's ever heard. Do you get angry? Uh, of course, yeah. She, you know, uh, ask my kids; they they would know. <laughs> but uh, I, I venture a guess that when you get angry, you get quieter. That is true. Okay, that is true. Um, but uh, they, I, I, yeah, she, yeah, you know, you, you, I've yelled at my kids, and I, and it's funny because I have this really soft voice, 
But there is something, it must be that kind of the dad thing that comes out, that there is a, there is a level, a volume level that I can achieve only when they're like being rude to their, their mother. Right. And it's like, it just comes out. And I think, I wish I could do that on stage. I wish I could <laughs> reach that sort of volume and clarity. It's something that my voice just leaps into my face. Yep. You know, and it's in a secret room in your vocal box. Right. That can only, only be open when they're disrespecting their mother. Yep. That's the key. Yeah. That's the key. And it, it shows up and everyone shudders and says, Oh, sorry. Yeah. And then I say, all right, you're forgiven. My dad was like that. Like my <laughs> dad was like Mr. Happy go lucky fun times wrestle and you know, play games, do voices. He was very gregarious. And like, he was like, a, it was like having Steve Martin as a dad. Like oh he was just God. so fun. But we, he was the one guy we didn't want to cross. Yeah. But he would get really quiet. Yeah. And accentuate every word. Yeah. And it was just, this is terrifying. It was terrifying. It's so hard. It's so hard as a, as a dad. Like the, the way it's hard to decide how to be mad at your kids because you don't want to yell at them. Mm-hmm. It almost seems like you can't ever really do it right. I mean, that, that's why you're supposed to be slow to anger, right? Right. Um, and uh, like I, this past Sunday at church, uh, or on, before church, we were supposed to be getting ready. Or we were all ready, and Amy, my wife, had said to the boys, get ready, get your pants on, whatever, it's time to go. And I walk in to see, to ask Jonah to say, come on, buddy, we're leaving. And he, he's sitting there squatting, playing Legos, doesn't have any pants on. And, and he doesn't see me. I open the door. He's still just squatting there. And so I hold my Bible out. I got a big old fat NIV mm-hmm. Bible out and I just hold it about like my head's height and just drop it onto the floor right next to him. And he's got this hardwood floor and he goes, wham, you know, and he looks up and, and, uh, and I just, he goes, sorry. You know, I picked up my Bible and walked out of the room and I think as I'm walking away, I'm thinking that was pretty mature of me, but like, I didn't, I didn't know how to handle it. I yeah. Didn't know, you, know, you just, you know, this parenting thing, you just make it up as you go along and I didn't want to go, Jonah. Yeah. You know, we told you, it's like, you just get tired of saying the same thing over and over again. Yeah. Try to find new, I don't want to grab him by the ear, you know, who does that yeah. anymore? So yes, I do have an angry voice. It comes out when they, when they're rude to their mother, which thankfully oh. doesn't happen very much. Um, oh, we talked about this, but you, do you test your songs out on your family and how do they respond? We talked I about totally that. Do. I listen. Yeah. And I mean, uh, interestingly enough, you said, do you ever not listen to them? I, there are things that I don't listen to. Like there was something my daughter, a, a, a lyric change she suggested. And she's not a lyricist, you know, but she's, and she's 14. So I was like, okay, yeah, I'll think about that. But in my mind thinking, no, that wouldn't be as good as what I've got. Right. But if I'm playing a song, like a whole song for them and they don't like it, I will just go right back to the drawing board. Mm-hmm. I mean, how well do you take criticism in general? Do you, you seem pretty open to it. Oh yeah. I'm super, I'm super comfortable with it. That's what what was amazing to me. I remember when Osenga Osenga and I went on tour right before right before when he recorded Leonard. Yeah. And he was showing me a bunch of these demos from Leonard and uh asking my genuine opinion and all this stuff. And I'm still sort of in the phase where I just anything Andy cranks out, I'm like, this is great. I'm just such a fan. This is so fun. Yeah. I love hearing these new songs, even in their sort of infancy. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, I don't hear anything. I think it's great because he explained, you know, he would explain what each song needed to accomplish. Yeah. And then he was like, okay, cool. And then he said he showed it to Casella and you, and you both came back with like ideas 
to make things better and tighten stuff out. And I was just like, oh, I didn't know I could do that. I thought it was one of those things where it was, because when I show somebody something, a new song especially, it's so raw. For a long time, I, all I wanted to hear was, it's perfect, don't change a thing. Oh, yeah. That's what I wanted. But now when I do it, I'm like, please help. Like I'll call friends over. Yeah. I did this last time when I was recording. Or, or, you know, I was writing and I was just like, you know, I'll call Stacy or Arthur Alligood or these, some of these people I was just like, respect. I'm just like, please show me what this needs to do because I've lost complete sight of it. Yeah. And it's, I, what an amazing asset to have oh, man. <laughs> it's such a gift to have community that can pour into that and and to to get to the point where you're you don't you aren't so precious with your stuff mm. and Cademan's healed me of that because I was very much that way I was like took it all very seriously and didn't want, and, and was you know always thought I I had the best idea of everything and yeah. didn't want anyone else's criticism and then when you're writing songs for somebody else they are what matters and so it was definitely a a fiery furnace for me the what are the, the crucible of figuring out how to take off the the or whatever not sure what metaphor to use but yeah to not take it so take yourself so seriously right anymore. and at the end of the day you realize you just want the best thing to rise to the top and to to acknowledge in the world that you aren't always going to know what's best other no. it's the person in the, in the room the lord has brought there with you so maybe they're exactly who's they're the person that's going to have the right idea and to be always open to to what what's coming, and you use your own you use your own barometer and your own sensibility for what's best, but to be the idea that you could be open that somebody else might have a better idea that's like that's the ticket yeah, I think that's just a sign of maturity too to just to be like, well, I don't have all the answers mm -hmm. and I've sort of reached that. Not that I'm a mature person, but I think creatively I reached that point where I was just like, I'm almost to the point now where like, I can't wait to get to the point where I'm stumped so I can call people and be like, can I show you some stuff? Cause I don't know what, cause you do realize that, you know, really quickly how, how quickly your nose gets pressed against the paper and you're like, I have no idea what this thing is or what yeah. it needs or if it needs anything. Yeah. And then you show it to somebody and they're like, some of them might be like, no, that doesn't need that bridge. Take that out of there. Yeah. It just needs, it needs to be shorter. Some people are like, this is, you know, or whatever it is. And, and also just knowing being open enough to take that criticism and yeah. criticism isn't by nature, by definition, it means it doesn't mean negative. It's, it's sort of both. It's just right. a comment on the thing. Yeah. And to take that and sort of be like, well, clearly this person I love and they want this to be great too. Just what mm -hmm. you said. And to take that and, and sometimes Use it and know when not to. Right. You know? Yeah, I mean, and you know who's just great about that? So many, all of our friends are great about it, but I can think of a few songs where Andy Gullihorn has been like, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I'm not sure these two things, I, these two ideas are connecting. And I'll be like, oh, you're right. Like, I didn't even see it. You know, I just was so maybe enamored with the, yeah. the lyric I had picked. I didn't see how the ideas weren't connecting or just things like that. Well, that guy doesn't leave any meat on the bone. Like that's that dude is a, a Native American songwriter. <laughs> he uses every part of the buffalo. It's amazing. Right. Like I remember hearing him at the very first Escape the Lake. I was standing at the back, and I never really heard him perform before. Mm -hmm. And I'm standing at the back while he's playing on the main stage with I was with Eric Peters, mm -hmm. and he just kicks into a song, and it's and I I 
I lean over to Eric and I'm like, this is unbelievable. Every mm-hmm. single line matters. Every single syllable counts. Yep. Every There's not one wasted anything. Nothing mm-hmm. goes too long. Nothing's too short. He nails it. He yeah. is a... It's a craftsman. S- he is a craftsman. Yeah, and I was blown away. And then and that was what, that was right when his latest record was coming out, which is all that. It's just yep. all it's an unbelievable. Yeah. And if you try to talk to him about it, he's just like, oh no, man. I don't know. Yeah. Let's go play cornhole. Yeah. Because he clearly, you know, he'll go into his his workshop, his wood shop, yep. and come out with these, you know, works of art. Yeah. That's so simple. And he, he comes up with those ideas and you do too. Like there's a lot of these things where you're just like, Oh, I can't believe I never thought of that. Like that was right there. But the way you guys say it is so perfect. And like, I, I feel like really good songwriters do that. They don't sort of bend your brain in a, in a weird, you know, they're not like, Je- like Jethro Tull where they take you on a journey necessarily, <laughs> but there's, there's this, a sensibility of, of like, I've always known this. Yeah. Like you just laid it out there in a way that my mind couldn't put together. Man, you know, talking about that also reminds me of having friends and having their influence in songs. I've definitely gone through seasons where I would get halfway through a song and just not have the, like, not have the energy and be like, can will someone else please finish this for me? <laughs> I know. <laughs> you know, like I know. call my friends and say, hey, you want to get together and write? I've got half a song, you know, just because I it would just get stumped and not have the, I know. Like, I, I don't. I don't know what to do. I want to start a different song. I don't have the energy to finish this song. Like I got the, like what they call it, right? Ten percent inspiration, one hundred percent or ninety percent perspiration. Right. And the, the perspiration part can just be daunting. Yeah. You know, and so I've had to kind of get knocked out of those seasons where, or it can really be tempting when you have songwriter friends, to. Oh, it's so easy to be like, "Hey, would you take a look at this?" Right. When really what I'm saying is I've kind of just been lazy and not really. Will you? Really, yeah. yeah. Will you write this for me? Will you write this for me? <laughs> but sometimes it's just them saying like, what if you sing this line like this will infuse new life into it. Yeah. And that's why you literally, it feels like you're beating a dead horse mm-hmm. over and over again. And somebody coming in and being like, oh, we'll just move this here and move that there. And uh, oh mm-hmm. my gosh. The you horse just, comes to life. Yes, you did. <laughs> uh, I want to, uh, I always wrap up the podcast by asking a series of lightning round questions. All right, hit me. So uh, they don't have, the answers don't have to be lightning, but they are just very non sequitur. Okay. But uh, do you have a surprising musical influence? Yeah, I guess I do. <laughs> Everyone always seems to be surprised at uh, my appreciation for Jimmy Buffett. Oh, I think we okay. I've heard you talk about this before. Yeah, I mean, it's not a surprise to me. At that songwriting boot camp, you referenced Jimmy Buffett a I? few times. Well, yeah. yeah, dude, he's a freaking master. <laughs> that now, is surprising. If you go, you have to go from like 1974 mm. to like 1982. Those are the years. Okay. Um, those were the years that Bob Dylan was referencing when he called Jimmy Buffett one of the top five greatest American songwriters ever. Did you hear that? I didn't hear that. Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan. Okay. He wasn't paid to say that? Nope. He wasn't given a, a lifetime pass to Jimmy Buffett's uh, restaurant? I'm not sure he would want that, but <laughs> he, he did. Uh, it just, I think I might have even shed a little tear when I read that article because it was like, yes, somebody else out there. Well, he's clearly figured it out. Like Jimmy Buffett is one of those guys who are like, you can criticize him all you want. This guy has... Well, now he's now he's riding the coattails of what he did, you know, and he kind of figured out how to be a brand. But for those 
early years, you know, 70s and early 80s, he was just writing amazing songs. Amazing songs. I mean, lyrics, even the songs that we all know that are super famous, if you take a minute to think about them, the lyrics, talk about, you were talking about how Gully packs so much into a, mm-hmm. let's just, let's just, for your, your listeners' fun, let's just unpack a, 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 a verse of Margaritaville. Have you ever done that? No, let's do it. All right. So, um, let's, let's say the second verse. Okay. Um, let's say the first verse. Everybody knows it, right? First verse of Margaritaville. Um, hold on. <laughs> hold on. I'm getting it. Nibbling on sponge cake. Okay, yeah, okay. There we go. First of all, nibbling on sponge cake? What? <laughs> Who gets to say that in a song? That's brilliant. Already. Nibbling on, sp- nibbling on sponge cake. Watching, Watching the, the sun bake. All the tourists all covered the with tourists oil. All the covered with oil. Okay, so we got... Already. R- r- huge imagery. Already, already. there. Huge, you're right. Like, yeah. who's painting that picture? It's like, it's Picasso, right? Yeah, uh, what's Strumming my six string. Strumming my six string. On my, on front, my front porch, porch swing. swing. Smell those shrimp. They're, They're beginning, beginning to, to boil. boil. So it's A, A, B, C, C, B. It's this perfectly crafted lyric. And like, there's just, it's oozing. It's like bursting with yeah. imagery. That's really impressive. That's, yeah, six lines. Right. And he, he just, did that. He just painted right. such a picture. Go to the last verse. Last he verse. Blew out my flip flop. Stepped right, on so pop. Let's, wait, let's, let's not rush past that. <laughs> Blew out my flip flop. Yeah. Take a minute and just sit back and enjoy that. That's, that's brilliant. Like, would you have loved to have written that? Blew out my flip flop, put yeah. that in the song. Stepped on a pop top. What's a pop top? Oh, like a beer can. Oh, okay. A pop top that someone, oh, yeah. someone pulled off totally. and dropped on the beach. Because, and, oh, because you're barefoot now. You're barefoot. You're on the beach, and right? You, Cut my heel, had to cruise on back home. Mm-hmm. But there's booze in the blender. And what is it? Soon and soon it will render. Soon it will render. That frozen, frozen concoction that helps, helps me hang on. on. A-A- That's brilliant. C-C- B. Again. Not a wasted lyric. Not a wasted lyric. Not a wasted uh or the and or the, but or and. Uh-uh. And that's, that's this you know, like what people think of as just kind of this throwaway drinking song. He poured that into that. I've never given Jimmy Buffett a second glance because yeah, I only know the novelty. Right. Dude, he was amazing. Uh, what do you associate with the name Keith? <gasps> Keith. Well, it, for some reason, it makes me think of the fourth most popular um, folk uh, comedy duo <laughs> in, uh, in news from New Zealand. Um, but but really the the name they usually say is Steve but that's just that's what it made me think of. I got I, I'll come up with Keith Ottaviano introduced me to David Wilcox and then you got Keith Bordeaux. Our man I don't know either of these people. Yeah, I, I got lots of and there's, and there's Keith Green. Of course. Um, I love Keith. Keith is a name you don't hear anymore. Uh-oh. I think it's gonna make it come back and I'm hoping that this podcast will be on the forefront right. because I've literally asked everybody for the last like. 30 episodes with, with uh, who was your first celebrity crush as a kid? Ooh, first celebrity crush. Wow. Um, maybe Mary Stuart Masterson. Ooh. Remember she was the drummer in some kind of wonderful, some kind of wonderful. Oh, she's, I watched that last summer. Yeah. For the first time in ages. 
still very crush worthy. She's awesome. Right. And Short then, of haircut. Course, killed it in Benny and June. Yeah. She's right. great. Where'd she go? She needs to make a comeback. I don't know. She's probably a mom somewhere being great. Yep. She had my heart when I was like 12. She was great. Yeah. <laughs> she would have like those drummer gloves and Oh yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. And she was just really like angsty. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a good one. I don't think I've had that one yet. Um, okay, here's a new one. Backing into parking spots. Convenient or annoying? Oh, the best. <laughs> Easy access. Easy access out. Okay. If it's somebody else doing it, I'm is, like, I, I'm, does it I'm, annoy you or are you like, this guy has it figured out? I'm judging them. Yeah. I'm judging them by, based on their skill level. I argue that it takes the same amount of time. It may take the same amount of time to do it. You may, are you arguing for or against? I'm against it. Okay, so... I think we need to it, chill out. It may, may take it may take the same amount of time to get in the parking spot. Right. But when you leave... It feels good. You, oh, it's so nice. I, I, would, I would say I'm on, I'm on your team with this. If you do it at the beginning of a long work day and you want to get out of there. But if you're just going into like Smoothie King... Yeah. Like it, and, you're, and, you're like, and you're really bad at parallel parker or backing up, like just pull in. Yeah, well, I just pull in. I, I don't like look for all the, every opportunity. But I tell you what I do... Um, do 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 is I'll I'll sometimes find a space that you know where you can pull into one space and out the other. So oh, I'll that's park, good. That's I'll good. Park, uh, pull in, but then park on the other. Oh, side. Oh, I'll always do that. So that I can. Who pull doesn't out. do that? Right. Yeah, I, I have a lot of like parking lot etiquette thought because you know, especially mm-hmm. touring, I I'm constantly like killing time by going yeah. into stores, going into places, and parking. So much of driving for me is just just like a really fun challenge. I like, yeah. I really enjoy parallel parking. Me too. I, I like to make sure that I've parked with equal sides, equal amounts of space on each side, um, and that I'm straight. Yeah. You know. And oh I'm yeah. Not too. Not that I'm. You know, I think I like to think of my car as sort of an extension of myself. Yes. So. Two two more things, and then. Uh, I'll release you into the wild. Uh, do you have any advice to creatives? There's a lot of people who want to do music full time or like be do sort of what we do. Yeah. Do you have any advice for people who would ask like, how would I do what you do? Okay. Um, if you could tell them one thing, you could, I would it's a say, big, big question. I would but. say that uh, um, I put my pants on one leg at a time, just like this. I don't believe you. I w- I've watched you just like a jump rope. You just jump up in the air and they're both on. It's amazing. That's right. You weren't supposed to see that. Oh. Um, no, I would say the, the first thing is, um, what I always tell people is just keep doing it. You, ca- you can, you, you, if you keep doing something, if you've got a proclivity for it, you will get better at it. And the, the thing is to be okay with not being as good as it now as you want to be. That's, I think, what maybe gets people stuffed, stuck a lot is they're not as good as they want to be right now. And I just always mm. try to find a nice way to say, just get over yourself. Be not as good as you want to be right now. Just go ahead and embrace that you're not. But start working at it, and before you know it, you'll be so much better. Um, and as far as the doing what I do, I'm assuming you don't mean doing children's music. Not necessarily. Just like just per- working musician. Yeah, working musician. Yeah. So many people, I realize, I take that for granted all the time. Yeah. And I sort of realized through doing this podcast and talking to a bunch of people, that's, that's sort of, this is success. The fact that we can do this and like pay a bill. Oh, it's insane. Let alone all the bills yeah. is amazing. That's the goal. It's but amazing. For so long, it was, the goal was like, 
I'm not doing it if I'm not Paul Simon or you too or whatever. And right. you have to realize that's like the 0.001% of yeah, that's, all that's, of that's this. Like the, that's the NBA. Yes. Um, and my, I guess my answer to that is be, make sure you're asking, not you, but that person yeah. is asking the right question. Because uh, if, if you're not m- making a living at it, um, you know, easy for me to say making, well, I am making a living at it, but uh, it's really okay. Like if you're just doing, you know, like, like I got a buddy, Chris Layton, you, you know sure. him, that's an English teacher and he writes killer music and yeah, I love does. it and I'm going to buy his records. And if he never supports his family as a musician, he will never be any less of a success for me because he's making great work Yeah. because he's done the hard work of creating it, putting the time and energy and effort and listening to other music and just woodshedding and make, and becoming a great artist. And um, don't let whether or not you are making a living at it be your barometer for whether or not you're a success. That's huge. I feel like you can. I mean, I did forever. Yeah. And it got me out of like working day jobs yeah. because it made me jumping out on that ledge, Indiana Jones style. It's not there, but just trusting it's going to be there. Yeah. And I did that. help me be where I am now. Yeah. And I did that. And there is an element of that. There is an element of sometimes you just got to like throw all caution to the wind. Yeah. And, um, and we did that. Uh, but our kids were tiny and we didn't have as a lot of expenses. And we, you know, we didn't have a car payment. We had these old beat up cars and we just yeah. kind of made it work. Paid, we're paying five fifty a month in rent in this little horse barn. Um, but, uh, so there is, there's times to take risks too. Um, but if you're not in a place where you can take risks like that, yeah, then don't let, yeah, I would just really encourage people to just work on the craft. Don't give up, keep working at it and let your, um, let your joy and your pleasure come from the creative act of it and the sharing it with the people that are in your community. Don't, you don't have to share it with a bunch of strangers for it to mm. be worth, worth, worth something you can share it with the people around you and love you and, and uh if it's good they'll be like oh my gosh will you play that for so-and-so at our mm-hmm. next party and then it'll start happening like that Either. no that's good that, that yeah. that's really great advice and i i think that's a lot of what people need to hear uh, always wrap up the podcast by asking the guests to share uh in all our misery by sharing a particularly bad or embarrassing show story. Does anything come to mind when somebody's like, what's your worst show experience? Um, there's a few, I got a, there's a bunch coming to mind. Um, did a show last year in South Carolina where, um, it's, I was doing the slugs and bugs show, Mm -hmm. but it was at this church that used to bring me in to play Randall good game concerts. So they asked if I would do a, a set afterwards of Randall good game songs. And I did, and somebody yelled out a uh, a song. It's a song I wrote a long time ago called John Eleven. And I was like, "Yeah, sure, I I can I can uh, play that one." So I started to, to strum the chords, and I couldn't remember the first line. And so someone yelled it out. I was like, "Okay," and I sang the first line. And I couldn't couldn't remember the second line, and uh, then uh, <laughs> someone else someone else yelled it out. Yelled the second line out, and. I, got to the, literally the very next line I couldn't remember and no, nobody else knew the third line. So literally 
I just had to stop and say, well, I, oh. guess, I guess I can't do that that song. And then so we went on to another song. The, the happy ending is finish the, the concert, the little mini set. And the, then as I was saying, like, thanks for everybody. This dude runs up to the stage and had gone to like the church office and found it, it online, <gasps> printed it out and brought it up to me. And so I did the, got to do the song after all. The oh, end. salvaged it. it but so that great. still feels like, Oh, I've done that where I've, I've set up, like I've told like an epic eight minute story of a song <laughs> oh, yeah. and then I got really it. forgot the words. And then, ha- and then it was like just the blank cursor oh, on a man. page, Isn't like the worst? just nothing. And it's still the point where I was like, I've gone, but like, and backed up from the mic and listened to my phone before. Oh yeah. And there's nothing more humbling than that. Like, oh, hang on everybody. Yeah. I'm gonna, and you have to make it into like a joke. Like you have to turn it into like a bit. Yeah. And I've learned to do that. Yeah. And thankfully, like I am known for not taking myself very seriously, but right. I do take my songs really seriously. Yeah. So it's a weird, oh, it's a weird sort of marriage between the two of like, I want to get this right. Like, you know, but there's nothing worse than setting up a song and then just being like, you know what, guys, the takeaway from this is your, the story. Trust me, the song's great. It's on a record back there. Yeah. Like, just like, oh gosh. That's totally happened to me too. That's so, yeah. <laughs> I've got more forgetting song lyrics stories than I could ever remember. Well, so, this was awesome. Dude, dude thank you so much for this. You absolutely have to come back, and I, I could talk to you forever. Forever? And, uh, forever. Forever. And I ever. would love to test how long, but the, the producer side of me is like, we need to wrap this up. But thank you so much for taking the time to come over. and Dude, this was so fun. Thank you. It felt like we just were sitting around drinking our waters, chatting, <laughs> which is what we were doing. <laughs> All right. Dude, thanks, Randall. Thanks, Nick. That'll do it for episode 89. If you'd like to hear more of Randall or Slugs and Bugs music, you could do so by visiting slugsandbugs.com. You can also follow Randall at Randall Good Game on Twitter or facebook.com slash slugsandbugs. Uh, you can follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at whowritespod. Also, facebook.com slash whowritesthisstuff. Or uh, email the show with your thoughts on things we've talked about in this episode or other ones or ideas for future guests or just uh, if you have a, you know, a fun question that might work well in the lightning round portion, you know, just email me. I'm very lonely. Uh, so thank you guys so much for listening for episode 89, nearing 100. And who writes this stuff? I'm Nick Flora. Go to something creative. Mm-hmm.